God our righteousness. Um, I was. Let's. I want to start actually going out of the book and go to Romans chapter five. I could really teach this whole class probably out of Romans chapter five. After reading, I was like, okay, you don't really need to go anywhere else, but we will. Let's start in Romans chapter five. Um, Wait a minute. Sorry, I was in Romans 7. Let's see. Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So for my brain and the King James, that doesn't really make any sense. And so if you read another version, what that's really saying is, even if you didn't sin in the same way that Adam sinned, you still have that nature of sin upon you. There's no way around it. It's been imputed to you through being a son of Adam, even though you know, some of your daughters of Adam. You know, you're still, it's still been imputed to us as descendants of Adam, or which would be any man that's ever walked on the earth. So there's no way out of that. There's no way around it. Um, we all, it says, death reigned even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Reading on, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. And I I was thinking about this here. For those few of us that have kids here, when you have kids, you really begin to understand that they are born with that nature in them. You know, you can question it until maybe they're like three days old and they start to see that little nature start rising up in them. And, you know, it's cute at the time, and that's... You know, the world has developed all kinds of philosophies about, you know, man is inherently good and born good. And some of that stuff, I think, is true. You know, there is in man the desire to, like, please and to do good. But that doesn't make who he is any different. Every person, whether it be the littlest baby, still has that nature in them. And I just, I think that's just going to set the groundwork for what we're going to share today, that there is no way around it. You are needing Christ as your righteousness. You need, we all need that, whether we want to admit it or not. And all of us here have seen that. But, you know, the world will say, oh, you know, we can rehabilitate this person and make them this and that. We can, you know, the, our whole system is derived around, you know, bettering people and making them better. But that doesn't work. It's, it fails throughout civilization. It continues to fail. Um, let's read in verse, keep reading in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 
that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And I thought about this. So, you know, if you have this real beautiful bucket of white paint, it's just, it's pristine, it's perfect. If you just take even like two drops of ink and drop them in that bucket and mix it up, it's not white anymore. It's now gray. And no matter how many times you scoop, that paint will never be white again. No matter how often you dilute it and dilute it and dilute it, it will never be pure white paint. It's just, it can't be. Um, it's the same way for us. No matter how often, how far down the line from Adam we've come, we all still have that nature of sin in us. And, you know, it lays it out real well here, but I, I, uh, I just wanted to set that as the groundwork that, you know, not a single one of us can escape from this, no matter how good we think we are. There is only one way to righteousness, and that's through Christ. Um, I just wanted to read that, those, that scripture there, but let's, let's go over to the book now. Um, Jehovah said, Canoe, God our righteousness. Um, it says, This Jehovah name is found in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. The context is a prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus, the promised Messiah. This prophecy does not say that the promised one will come and give righteousness to people. It says that he will be their righteousness. To be righteous before God means more than just being forgiven. If we are not stable in the righteousness of God, then we are not stable Christians. God's forgiveness, however, is not based on compassion but on righteousness. The only basis on which God could promise that Israel shall be saved and dwell safely is if God became their righteousness. According to Romans 3.10, which is what I've been saying here, there is no one who is righteous. If this is true, then the Lord must become our righteousness. But God does not just make us righteous. He is the I am, the Lord, our righteousness. To be justified before God requires a whole new relationship with God based on a whole new situation that God has brought about in Christ. Only as we are admitted, admitted into this new realm can we fathom justification. Um, let's see, let me check my notes here. You know, righteousness means uh, right standing with God. That's that's one way that people have translated. You know, to have a to be in a right standing with God. And what I thought I, th- I thought like this: if you were, you know, if you were to go before the Lord in your personal state of mess, like we all are, he would he looks at us and says, "No, I cannot accept that. I, I you can't even come into my presence because you are unrighteous. You are unholy. You're not worthy to come into my presence." And he would he would reject us. He has rejected. The old man, he says, you know, this, I, you know, you see it so often in the Old Testament. I have rejected this one and raised up this one to be my king. And in the same way, he's rejected the old and he only is accepting of Christ. Um, now, now, the tricky thing for us is how do we get there? Um, let's let's keep reading in. Well, let's see. No, let's read in the book here, I think. Romans in Romans eight, three and four. We see that the law could not bring about righteousness. Jesus, however, came and fulfilled all the law, and when we take our position in Christ and walk after the Spirit, then the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us. When we are standing in Him, He is the answer to all accusations. Righteousness means right standing and in Christ, and we become all that God requires us to be. 
In order for God to have a righteous people, he must do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We are declared to be not guilty legally and are acquitted from all crimes. I had some notes here I wanted to follow up. Um, I began to think, uh, this, all this got me into thinking really about the law, and I'm, I want to share quite a bit about the law. You know, the law is, if you look in the Old Testament when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they went into the wilderness, and they came to Mount Sinai, and Moses went up onto the, you know, to the mountain and met with God and, you know, the fire or the thunder and the lightning and all that and the mountain, and he came down with, with, the, with the commandments of God. Um, what the Lord shared with me was that what he came down with was, it was this is what God wanted in a people. It's what he desired. The law is, you know, a lot of times I know we have a misunderstanding that the law is some bad, evil no good thing, but the scriptures say, if we go to First Timothy chapter one, it says it in quite a few places, but this is one. First Timothy chapter one, verse nine. First Timothy one, verse nine says, or verse eight. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane. For murders of fathers and murders of mothers and go on and whoremongers and all kinds of other really bad people. Um, and also over in Romans chapter 7, I think he actually brings, no, Romans chapter 7, well, I didn't write it down. Let me find it real quick. Romans 7 verse... Verse, I don't know. There it is. Verse 12. Romans 7, verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. We're not going to read the rest of that. That's not worth We're trying to go. It just was saying that, you know, the law, for so for so long, I thought of the law as some, you know, the law comes in and all it does is it points out the bad and it points out, you know, this is off, this is wrong, this is wrong, which is what it does do that. It, it, it exposes sin for what it is. But the law, that doesn't make the law a bad thing because the law, I believe in a certain sense, it is the heart of God. It's the heart of God towards man. But the reality is that we can't, we can't in ourselves, you break the law in one point, you've broken the whole law. We can't in ourselves uphold the law. We can't do all that the law requires. It'd be kind of like, um, kind of like in our country, if someone you know goes out and kills someone, you know, we bring them before court. Well, we have those laws there for a reason to to bring that person to justice to make sure that they are punished for their crimes. We would all agree that it's a good thing we have those laws. It's, you know, if we didn't have laws in our country, it would be total and utter chaos. Um, it is kind of chaos, anyways. But it would be even worse. You know, it would be, you know, if we didn't have, if we, if you didn't know that there was a you know, in a certain sense, we're all held by the law, too. You know, if you we, you could go out there and steal something and probably get away with it. But, you know, eventually you're probably going to get caught if you, you know, make it a habit. In the same way, you, you, there is that we all had this thing as this innate fear of, like, policemen or something, like, because they, they, they stand for the law that, you know, they are, they're the bad guys. But they're, they're really there for your good. They're there for our good to keep to keep you safe, to protect you. But the reality is that, you know, you can't uphold all the law that the Lord requires. You can't. You'll fail. You, we won't. We we have been. The case made against us that we have been found lacking. 
So then there becomes the need for one to stand in our place. Um, there becomes the need for someone to step in and stand for us. So when we go before the Lord in that court, one to step in and say, okay, I stand for this person. I stand in his place. I am his righteousness. I am, what's our word? I am, uh, what's our word? I am, uh, I am vouching for him. He has been, his, his record is no more and he's been brought into me. Um, but by doing that, he didn't disre- He wasn't disregarding the law. He's fulfilling the law. He's saying, okay, I have fulfilled it. I have the right to do this because I have been perfect. I have a, a, upheld the law completely, and it is my rightful place to do this for these people. Um, that'd be like if, if someone's on, you know, someone, our country works a little differently than the laws of the Lord. But, you know, an example would be is if, is if, so, if you go in and you steal a bunch of stuff and you owe someone a whole bunch of money and, and the law comes and says, okay, you need to repay. It doesn't. They really don't care in a certain sense who repays as long as that debt is paid. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if someone else steps in and says, I'll pay for you. The, 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 uh, the debt has to be paid. And then that's what he does. He came in and he paid that debt for us. He became our righteousness. But thankfully in the Lord, it's so much more than just our debt being paid. Thankfully, it's so much more than that being wiped out, than that just being... I'll, cl- I'll cleanse you and you're on your own. No, he becomes our life. He becomes something greater than just, you know, you don't, you no longer have a bad record against you. Um, and we see that in, in a uh, reading on in Romans chapter, uh, chapter, let's read that last verse of chapter five, Romans chapter five, 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the next verse says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we, for if we have been planted together... In the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And verse 8 says, For now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Um, and we're down verse four, 13. says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And I've I read the story is in the Ultimate Attention book by Deverne Fromke that I always, and I've probably shared it before and you may have heard it, but I, I've always loved it. There was there's this little boy who's who's a slave and you know he's he's uh, he's up on the the uh, auction block to be sold, and this guy comes in and he's up there bidding for the boy and finally he he ends up winning the bid. And they say okay, sold to this guy. Well, the guy turns and says to the boy, you're free to go. You're free to go. You can just, your, your debt's been paid. You are free to leave and go. Well, he turns and clings to this man and says, you know, you're the one that freed me. You're the one that I want to be with. You know, you're the one that came and set me free. What, what else, you know, what would I live for if, if you're the one that has made me free? And that's with the Lord. He's made us free. We, in turn, out of, you know, not just gratefulness, but out of a love, should live for him. You know, like the love slave. You know, we so love him, the one that has set us free. If we just ignore that and go out and live for ourselves, then we've kind of made of no effect what he did, you know, in a certain sense. Um, 
you know, maybe down the road he'll have to do it again. He'll have to come back again and pay for us again and again. That's not his his desire. Is not that it be like a get out of jail free card that he's giving us. No, he wants to be Christ our life. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't think in a certain sense if there are a lot of people that just still focus on the Lord as our righteousness, that's it, just a part of what he is. You know, he's made into us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. He's made into us all these things, peace and, and joy. And I think this just this just fits in. It's, I think in some senses it's it's like a positional standing where we are in Christ. But if you get focused into, I've been set free from the law. No, you have been joined unto one. Therefore, you have been set free from what the law requires. Um, I think, you know, in the same way that the scripture says, first he must increase and then we decrease. You know, it's it's a uh, for so for so much. You know, I, I get caught in this thing of always trying to like put away the bad things in my life, rather than cleaving unto Christ. And those things will be put away; they'll be put in their place. You know, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. If we first turn our hearts to Him, the other things will take care of themselves. In the same way, if we see Christ as our righteousness, but not just righteousness to set us free to fulfill the law, but we see him as, man, this one has loved and laid down his life for me. Um, I want to read this next paragraph. Let's read on in the book. Our righteousness is up and down. One day I am good and on fire, and the next I am passive and hateful. Our righteousness is certainly not consistent enough to form a basis upon which to approach God on a day-to-day basis. When we want, when we want to approach God, we are timid. Our boldness is gone because we feel we have not acted right. We are like Adam and Eve who hid after they had sinned. But if we feel that we have done well or have been good, then we go boldly to his throne. Our approach to God, however, cannot be based on our works or feelings. Which I don't know about you guys. First, that's a hard thing for me to comprehend in my natural mind. It it just thinks linearly. It thinks today I'm doing good, today I'm okay with the Lord, today he is okay with me. (laughs) I just really struggle with that a lot, and I always have. Just thinking of, oh, I'm not doing so good. The Lord's not going to see me in the same light. But he sees, if we are hid in Christ, the one he's seeing is he's seeing Christ in us. He's not seeing us. You know, with David, who messed up so many times, he messed up way more than Saul ever messed up. But that the Lord knew his heart, and the Lord knew this one recognizes that Christ is his life. You know, maybe he saw it, maybe it wasn't the exact words, Christ is my life, but he knew that the Lord was his righteousness. And it, we can see that throughout Psalms. Um, when he talks about, you know, being hidden in the shadow of his wings, like being covered. You know, when you're in his righteousness, you're covered. He's covered us. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. They needed some clothing. They needed to be clothed in righteousness. So God arranged a sacrifice and clothed them in the skins of the animals who gave their lives because of Adam and Eve's sin. Um, okay, let's keep reading, sorry. We must, we must approach God based upon His righteousness, not on our own. We don't have any unrighteousness, but our faith in the finished work of the cross is counted to us for righteousness. In Romans chapter 4, the Greek word translated impute is also translated as reckon and count, and it appears numerous times. In other words, at the cross, our sin was charged to his account, and he died. But when we trust in Christ's right sacrifice, his righteousness is imputed to us, i.e. charged to our account. We don't have righteousness, but our faith is counted to us for righteousness. Which, in 
in the natural thinking, faith doesn't really factor in because everything is logical. Everything has to make sense. It has to get to comprehend it first, which rules out faith or believing in something other than yourself. Um, so it's saying here that faith, it's through faith that it's, it's encountered unto us. It's when we believe, when we, when we say, you know, faith is the evidence. I always misquote that one in Hebrews. I'll read it so I don't do it wrong. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we may not understand how this works, but he's just saying just just trust and receive and believe that this is the way I have made. This is when you stand before me, I'm seeing you as being in Christ. I'm not seeing you as being Jason or Nicole. I'm not seeing you as being one that is, you know, filthy or dirty rags. I'm seeing you clothed with me. Um we don't have righteousness, but our faith is counted to us for righteousness. I can say that my righteousness is without reproach and cannot be improved upon, for it is Christ, Jehovah said, can be the Lord our righteousness. Jesus' righteousness gets him into God's presence. And since I am in him, then he gets me into God's presence, not my righteousness. I am clothed in righteousness because I am clothed in Christ. My clothing, my righteousness, is like filthy rags. I am only accepted in the Beloved. No one can approach the Father except through Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Um, I think a lot of understanding him as our righteousness really comes with having confidence in knowing that this is truly the way. Having a confidence to know the faith to say, you know what, Lord, you are my righteousness. You, you don't see my lack. You don't see my junk. You see Christ, and you see that I've been joined to him. Uh, I know that, you know, like I was saying, it's, it's, it's so hard to get past what our mind wants to think of how we're doing day to day. Today, I'm not doing so good. Today, I'm probably not in Christ because I really messed up in my thoughts in my head, or I really did this, or I really did that. But the reality is, every day we are in Christ. There's not a single day that you're not in Christ. Not a single day that God doesn't see us in the righteousness of Christ. There's not a single day that goes by where we're not a part of that. But our mind, the enemy plays in our mind, you know, plays mind games with us. And, um, you know, take, for example, someone like Randy, you know, you can look at him and go, wow, he's really a spiritual man who just, but he goes through the same struggles because he's a man like the rest of us. I'm sure he goes through the struggles every, you know, not every day, but, you know, in a certain sense, he goes through those times when he wonders, you know, am I still in Christ today? But he's enough faith to know in the Lord, yes, I still am. It doesn't mean that you don't ever mess up. It doesn't mean you don't ever make a mistake. But if your if your mentality is you know the 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 mindset in the Lord as we take on the mind of Christ is you know I am one with you Lord I am joined to you you are my righteousness you are my life I can enter boldly you know like Psalm says come boldly and worship at the throne it doesn't say when you get yourself cleaned up and when you're acting right and doing all the right things then come boldly it says come boldly you know and um, there's a song that I always like that says you know all who are weak all who are weary come to the fountain. And it's just talking about when you're in that place. For a lot of people, that's that's the best place to be in when you're weak and lacking and you need. You just know, I need something besides myself because I can't do it. Um, that was the Pharisees' problem is they worked so hard to get this worked in themselves. They worked so hard to build themselves up that they just were so proud in who, what they had done and the verses they you know, they'd memorized the Bible, they had the stupid boxes on their head, you know, that they would keep the scriptures in and they had the right robes and they did the right amount of, they did everything right that the law required. 
But it still was. It still fell horribly short. I mean, almost like worse than the worst sinner. Jesus said, you know, you, you're so far off, you don't even know it. But, but we're right there. We've, you know, obeyed all the commandments. We don't ever do anything wrong. And he's saying, but your nature is the problem. It's not your actions. It's your nature. And when we have a change of nature, your actions begin to take on what that nature is. When you, when you, when you, uh, you know, when you put a, when you have this, this car with this really crappy engine in it, it's going to run like a car with a crappy engine. It may be the ugliest car, but if you go and put a really good engine in it, it's going to run like really fast and great. It may be an ugly car, but it's, it's gonna, it has the life in it that's going to cause it to run great. You know, we have that, that engine, we have that Christ in us. It doesn't matter how you feel or look on the outside. He is our righteousness. And, you know, the Pharisees, they, they, they went in there and they, and they detailed the car and gave it a paint job and put these beautiful leather seats, you know, and they, you know, fancy gold Momo rims, you know, and just all this stuff that, you know, when you look at it, you're like, wow, what a car, but it's sputtering along the street, you know, it's like a clunker and it dies. You know, that's, he's saying, you know, you are whited sepulchers. You're on the outside, you look great. You got it all together. You come in with your haughty robes and, you know, you come into the, my temple and you look down on everybody. But then comes in this little widow who's got nothing, you know, and she's, or the person who's just broken and, and needy and wants Jesus. And he says, this is, this one has understood the, the truths of the kingdom of God. And I think that, you know, we don't have Pharisees walking around today like, like they did then, but we can sure act like, I know I could have time to sure act like a Pharisee, like, oh, I've got it. I read my Bible, you know, every day this week for three hours a day, and, you know, I memorized the scriptures, and, you know, back in school I did all my homework, and I did all this stuff, and it felt good, like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. But it, it'll die, it dies off after a while, because it's not, it's not life. You know, you can read your Bible for five minutes a day, and there'll be so much life in it that it, it just carries you, you know, in, in Him. And um, that's, I think that's just where, you know, he, he's... We're such a, I know for me, especially such a, a law-driven. We're driven by trying so hard to strive to do it in ourselves. And I've, I've struggled with this a lot, you know, just trying to find, like, the magic keys to measure up to the Lord. And there's, there's not other than being Christ, which means literally putting your trust and your faith in Him, which is, which is totally out from who we are as, as people. Um, let me check my notes real quick. I was thinking about uh, up there when, when he was talking about someone in the chapter talking about Adam and Eve when they had sinned and they, they put on the skins and so someone got arranged a sacrifice and they put the skins on them as a covering. Um, I was thinking in relation to like our body when when uh, you know when you when someone does something to offend you you know you you maybe you forgive them but you don't always forget all the time you, you know maybe you just kind of like well you know. I forgive you, but I'm always going to know in the back of my mind that you hurt me and offended me. Well, the Lord's completely different. When when He looks at you and says you have been a total failure and utter mess, but He doesn't see that anymore. He just sees Christ. He doesn't see. He doesn't you know hold back that. I remember back in you know '95 when you really screwed up bad. He doesn't have these little things in his in his mind that he remembers against us. He has. It's been completely wiped out. Our past has been completely. It you know like it says here, in Roman Romans. For you, you are dead. You know, you've been baptized. When you're dead, when something is dead, it's put away. It's buried. When it's buried, you don't see it anymore. It's been completely put away. And thank, thank the Lord for that, that we, 
don't have to have that burden carrying hanging over our head, and we can go boldly into the throne, not worrying about is he going to remember that I you know said a little lie last week? No, we can go boldly into his presence and ask for grace to help in time of need. Um, I thought of one more scripture. Romans, also in Romans. Um, Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, which the flesh is the one that's trying to uphold the law, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Praise the Lord that the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled in us by Christ. Um, therefore, we now have right standing with God. We now have the right to enter in to his, to his to his presence and be with him. Um, let's double check here. I think that's all that I had to share. Yeah. Anybody have anything to share any questions or anything? You don't want to? Did anybody do them already? We don't have to. It doesn't matter to me. Let's do them then. Chapter 3 or chapter 2? Okay. Chapter 1. In Isaiah 64, 6, God says that man's righteousness is as Debbie and that in Romans 3.10 that there is no, not one. Uh, read Romans chapter 4. I didn't even look at these and it says read Romans 4 and 5. Oh, that's pretty good. Thank you, Lord. And then indicate whether the following statements are true or false. A, uh, Margareta. True, to be righteous before God means more than just being forgiven. That's, I'm glad to, that's what I was thinking saying a few minutes ago about the forgiveness. You know, as, as man, we just... We simply just forgive, and then, okay, I forgive you, you know, fine, whatever, you're okay now, but there's still something in me against you. But in, with Christ, there's more than just being forgiven. He has, he has poured out himself that we would be forgiven. And he, therefore, in a certain sense, it's like he has a vested interest in us that we would, you know, like the army says, be all that we can be. You know, he has a certain amount that he has put into us by laying down his life that he desires that we would come and be with him. B, Jennifer... God's forgiveness is based upon his compassion. We're assuming that my answers are all right, you know. <laughs> I think they are. I th- actually, I did across a couple of mountain changes, so they must have had a couple of them wrong. C, Nicole? Yes, imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness are the same thing. False, yes. Not the same thing. You know, I was looking to see where he talks, because he... He didn't talk about imparting righteousness either. Yeah, I think... Oh, here we go, right here. We'll get down there in a minute. 
We'll do it right now. Number five. Righteousness was imputed to me through faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. How this differ from imparted, imparted righteousness? I have Im- imputed righteousness is counted towards us. Imparted righteousness is based on our merit. Yes. He probably used King James, if I had to guess. He probably used the King. Randy likes the King James. He did mean chapter. It, he did mean chapter four. I have. What, what, what's the? What's it say in the book there? Romans chapter three. Oh yeah. I have. I have uh, five crossed off, and it says four. I need to tell them to change that in the books. So it should have been chapter four. Eleven. Yeah. Thinking. So I, th- I was thinking it means like imputed means it's kind of towards us. Doesn't matter if you're a complete and utter failure. Imparted means like you've you've earned it. You've you know you've done something that therefore given to you, or it's, or it's given to you because you deserve it in a certain sense. Like you've you know maybe you've upheld five laws therefore with a certain amount of right. You know, I don't know if that's exactly the right way to say it, but it's like when you impart something to someone, you, you know maybe it's in the sense of. I guess the wages of what they have done. Maybe that. That's a good thing about it to spur us to think about it and really try to press in and, and ask the Lord what they mean. Um, it has been a long time since I took this class. I do remember that now. And it is circled in my book, which I think that means it's on the test. So what I have is imputed righteousness is counted towards us and imparted righteousness is based on our merit. Um, we should look up that word impart sometime and see what that means. What does it mean? Well, look at you. Hmm. 
sure. Very astute. You are correct. Um, maybe we'll, we'll just have to ask Randy. Um, okay, back on the true-false. D. Righteousness means right standing before God, Josiah. You're correct. E. God does not make us righteous, but he is the I am, the God who is our righteousness. Amber. True is correct. But in a certain sense, it's kind of tricky. It kind of does make us righteous. and It's kind of like twisting the words in a certain sense. I think in a certain sense, he does make us. But I think the, the overwhelming thought is he is our righteousness. He doesn't, he doesn't make us righteous like apart from Christ. Like you are righteous now on your own. He is saying, I will be your righteousness. So if you take me out of the equation, you're no longer righteous. It's not like, it's not like some kind of gift that he gives to you and says, this is yours to do whatever you want with it. No, it's only... It only goes with Christ. Yeah. It's dependent upon Christ being the main part of that has to go in that equation. And isn't it funny, this is just another conversation, but how down the world is on independence? Yeah, I was just going to say exactly. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What else is there? There's not anything else. But in the earth, it's it's unhealthy and it's sick and it's this and that. And in the earth, it is. It is. Yeah. If you're you know obsessed with a person or obsessed with you know just learning one thing, but I I just find it interesting. It's just another tactic of the enemy to blind and, and deceive the world from knowing where to start. No, I, I don't know this. Across the board, I'm not, this is not a blanket statement, but I think I've I've done some uh, work like in people who who maybe are like real forward thinking, modernist type thinking people, and like I said, they have like no passion in their lives. They're just like mellow, kind of like hey, you know, whatever. Whereas you know, you get into your you know crazy fanatic sports people, which in a sense it's 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 wrong that they're like fanatic about sports, but there's like something in them that that is true. They're passionate about that, and it's like it's real though. It's like it's a real emotion. And or a real thing that's in them, and I think that the world like saying, is trying to like stifle everything and make it, you know, we're just all mellow and we have no, we're not obsessed with anything. We're all just going to be the same and and you know, but independent of. It's like it's contradictory in a certain sense, but and if you really think about it too, we so need, you know, our our country was founded on, you know, whether it's Christian, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's a whole thing up for debate for another day. But you know, it was founded upon men laying down their lives that we would have freedoms that we have. I mean, if we hadn't had the wars that we had, I'm not, please, I'm not saying yes, no war. I'm not getting into that. But in reality, if certain ones had not fought for freedom, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we would be maybe still living under England, you know, rule. I mean, in reality, if you look at it that way, you know, yeah, someone, you know, someone has to, you know, this is just the principle of the Lord. Some a life must be laid down that others would have freedom. And that's just the way the Lord always works. And so in a certain sense, we're always dependent upon somebody else for the things that we have. And but yeah, that it, but to answer this question, though, God does not make us righteous in and of ourselves or independently righteous 
apart from him. It's only righteous in him. F, our own righteousness is not stable enough to provide a basis upon which to approach God. That would be true. G, when we have been, when we have not been good, we can boldly, okay, this is one tripped me up when I remember, I remember this now. When we have not been good, we can boldly approach God. We cannot, God, double negatives. When we have not been good, we cannot boldly approach God. Or, take those out, we can boldly approach God. No. False is the correct answer. And my mind is still puzzled as to how it works. When we have not been good. Okay, there we go. Now I'm understanding it. Yeah. When, which is false. Okay. Could he not have just said that? When we have been bad, we cannot approach. H. We don't have righteousness but our faith is counted to us for righteousness. True. Which is essentially re-saying question E, God does not make his righteousness righteous. Um, number three, the Greek word, which is translated impute in Romans 4, is also translated as counter-reckon. It should be chapter 4, not chapter 5. And the answer was 11 times. So now that it will probably make more sense when you go back and count them. What does the word impute mean? To put on account or reckon? Or like Nicole said, like, what, what, what did your thing say? Something about credit? Which is kind of like, you know, when you have a credit card and they really screw up and do something wrong and they credit back your account. They credit it back to your account. So it, they, they put the money back into your account. Yeah, in this case it's, yeah. Number five, we went over that already. Number six, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, and Philemon 18 and 19. According to these passages, God, A, charged our sins to his account, and B, charged Christ's righteousness to our account. And number seven is pretty easy. If you got that wrong, you just need to go back and double-check your verse. Yeah. Okay. Macy said to, uh, I guess she went over with you your paper already. Did she do that?